Welcome to That You May Grow Thereby. We are thankful that you have joined us today. This is the work of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. We're located at 18 Scott Drive in Florence, Kentucky. You can reach us at www.nkcofc.com. And now, That You May Grow Thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. I am Greg Littmer. I'm one of the elders of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. I'm Jacob Taylor, one of the evangelists. And I'm Ross Oldenkamp, also an evangelist. Now we turn our attention to one of the most emotional and heart-wrenching scenes in the gospel accounts, where we see the agony in the garden of our Lord Jesus. (coughs) Excuse me. It appears in all four gospel accounts, but primarily in the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So we're going to read Matthew's account, Matthew chapter 26, verses 36 through 46. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, Sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, And he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. He went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again a second time he went away and prayed, saying, O my father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. So he left them, went away again, and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then he came to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, and let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. I find it interesting that both Matthew and Mark, and Mark's account appears in Mark 14, verses 32 through 42, but both Matthew and Mark use the Greek word for garden, which means a spot or a place, evidently denoting a small enclosure or field. Gethsemane is the Greek form of a Hebrew word that means oil press. This shows that the enclosure was an olive orchard with its oil press in the midst. It was evidently a secluded spot that offered the privacy that Jesus desired. John tells us that it was across the book Kidron. The other three evangelists tell us that it was on the Mount of Olives. The apostles were divided into two groups. Eight were left at the gate. Maybe this was to prevent further interruptions, I don't know. The other three, Peter, James, and John, came further into the garden with Jesus. I struggled with how to put this into words, just exactly what Jesus was going through in the garden, 
and found it difficult to adequately express it. I believe that Frederick Farrar expresses it quite well, and I'm going to read a rather lengthy quotation from his life of Christ. He said, Jesus knew that the awful hour of his deepest humiliation had arrived, that from this moment till the utterance of that great cry with which he expired, nothing remained for him on earth but the torture of physical pain and the poignancy of mental anguish. All that the human frame can tolerate of suffering was to be heaped upon his shrinking body. Every misery that cruel and crushing insult can inflict was to weigh heavy on his soul. And in this torment of body and agony of soul, even the high and radiant serenity of his divine spirit was to suffer a short but terrible eclipse. Pain in its acutest sting, shame in the most overwhelming brutality, all the burden of sin and mystery of God's of man's existence in its apostasy and fall. This was what he must now face in all its most inexplicable accumulation. But one thing remained before the actual struggle, the veritable agony began. He had to brace his body, to nerve his soul, to calm his spirit by prayer and solitude, to meet that hour in which all that is evil in the power of evil should wreak its worst upon the innocent and holy. And he must face that hour alone. No human eye must witness, except through the twilight and shadow, the depth of his suffering. Yet he would have gladly shared their sympathy. It helped him in this hour of darkness to feel that they were near and that those who were nearest who love him best. Stay here, he said to the majority, while I go there and pray. Leaving them to sleep on the damp grass, he took with him Peter and James and John and went about a stone's throw further. It was well that Peter should face all that was involved in allegiance to Christ. It was well that James and John should know what it was that that cup which they had desired preeminently to drink. But soon even the society of those chosen and trusted ones was more than he could bear. A grief beyond utterance, a struggle beyond endurance, a horror of great darkness, a giddiness and stupefaction of soul overmastered him, as with the sinking swoon of an anticipated death. It was a tumult of emotion which none must see. My soul, he said, is full of anguish even unto death. Stay here and keep watch. I think, too, that that's the point of the of the quote and of the, the suffering, the difficulty that Christ is, is going through, being his soul being deeply grieved to the point of death. Um, the, the Gospel kind of Luke and what it holds about this the same event, the Garden of Gethsemane, in Luke chapter 22, verses 39 through 46, um, adds a, a piece to it that is, that is just as factual um, in, in verse 43 and 44 and I'll go ahead and read those it says, Now an angel from heaven appeared to him strengthening him and being in agony he was praying very fervently and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. So I mean just in those verses even more so highlights the difficulty 
the um, the weight of what is being put, what Jesus is bearing here, um, knowing what's coming, the brutality of it all that all had to be it had to be done had to be done perfectly, and his attitude through it all, um, as we see in his in his prayers, is not my will but yours be done. It was God's will over all else, um, and and it was just an um, amazing attitude that he had. I mean, this is going to be beyond words difficult to uh, the death and all, all of it is just I, I don't know, really know what to say but what he his attitude and making sure that it, the father's will is done over all else is a attitude that we certainly can adapt in our lives when we look at all three of the synoptics together we see that it was three times that Jesus came and found his apostles sleeping. Three times he returned to his father in prayer, but at last his betrayer had arrived. As Jesus said, the hour has come. Behold, he that betrays me is at hand. You know, when they arrived at the garden, the first thing Matthew says that Jesus said to the disciples was, sit here while I go and pray over there. Luke's account adds, however, in verse 40, that when they came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And so in addition to sit here while I go and pray, they were told that they should be praying themselves and they should be praying that they not enter into temptation. Jesus has already warned the disciples, Peter specifically, back up in Matthew's account, just a couple of verses Assuredly, I say to you, this night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. That that should have caused uh, a great heaviness in Peter, just as, as Jesus himself was, was wrestling and exceedingly sorry. B- Peter should have been overcome with that. When am I going to deny Jesus? G- Peter had a lot to be praying about. Instead of praying, what we find is sleeping. And that's a sad human tragedy for all of us, that sometimes we just, spiritually speaking, find ourselves asleep. When Scripture calls us to wake up and be aware and be vigilant and just recognize that the adversary adversary is near. Yeah, there's um, two, two thoughts before we quickly move on. And build, building off that same idea of what Jesus says and back, back in Matthew's account, chapter 26, verse 41, is where he talks about keep watching and praying so you not come into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I think it's, again, very applicable in our lives. When we're facing temptation, when we're facing desires of the flesh, whether it be um, sinful desires or even just, you know, fighting sleep. You know, I mean, anything can be an idol when it's placed over God. And so here it's, Jesus is saying, you know, your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. And so it's something that what is going to, you are going to allow to win. It's a war between the two. And are we going to allow the spirit to win? The spirit is willing to serve God. The flesh can be the one that stops, gets in the way of that. And it's important to let the spirit be the one directing our lives and not the flesh. I also want to make a note of with what Jesus does here with these the prayers, the three times that he does say these prayers, and that they're all very similar. 
and they're all within a short time frame. I think it's important to note that as well. When there is something that is of great weight or um, could be anxiety in our lives, it's okay to pray to God multiple times about it. It's not that it has to be, I prayed once and that it's, it's all that I need to do. If Jesus Christ prayed about the same kind of thing three times in a short interval, there should be no issue with insert your name here doing that. We have the opportunity to do that and to constantly be going to him in prayer. Not in a thoughtless repetition way. Like he talked about, Jesus talked about Matthew 6 verse 7. But just as Jesus did here in a genuine way of wanting to talk to his father about the events that were occurring in his life. You know, I've struggled in times past as to how should we understand verse 39. Oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Was, is Jesus really asking not to have to do this? And one of the things that uh, became made it difficult for me was what he had said in John 12, verse 27. It says, My soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? It's for this purpose that I've come to this hour. I mean, you you compare and contrast those two uh, sentiments, and Jesus is like, "I, I wouldn't ask the Father to save me from this hour. This is the reason I've come. And then you get to the garden, and he says, Oh, Father, if it's possible, let it pass. And you're thinking, What's going on here? I think. I think it is a great testimony to the humanity of Jesus. We so often think of him merely as God that we don't recognize that the perfect, uh, miraculous blending of the Spirit of God with the Son of Man. And I guess the only way that I kind of reconcile this thought is that to a, to a much smaller degree, I've been here. I, I've been in this very place of knowing that something had to happen. Like for me, I'm exceedingly sorrow if I go to the doctor for a procedure. Like if I if I find myself having surgery, you know, I know it's got to happen, but I'll still say the words. Look, is there is there not any any anything else that we can? I know the answer to that before I even ask it, but I ask it anyway, because it just testifies, I really don't want to do this. And now we move on and we see the conclusion of the time in the garden as they arrive for the arrest of Jesus. It's found in Matthew chapter 26, verses 47 through 56, in Mark chapter 14, in Luke chapter 22, and in John chapter 18. I happen to be at Matthew's account. Anybody else there? Mm-hmm. You want to read it, Ross? Matthew 26, verse what? 47 through 56. Yes. And while he was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude, with swords and clubs, came from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now his betrayer had given them a sign, saying, Whomever I kiss, he's the one, sees him. Immediately he went up to Jesus and said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. But Jesus said to him, Friend, why have you come? Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and took him. And suddenly one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword, struck the servant of the high priest, and cut off his ear. But Jesus said to him, Put away your sword in its place. 
for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot now pray to my Father, and he will provide me with more than twelve legions of angels? How then could the scriptures be fulfilled that it must happen thus? And in that hour Jesus said to the multitudes, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to take me? I sat daily with you teaching in the temple, and you did not seize me. But all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. You know, if we consider the three synoptic gospels along with John's account, we can note some very careful preparation that took place before they came to get Jesus. There were the temple guards ready to do whatever they were told to do. There was a band of Roman soldiers. The word cohort is used in John 18 verse 3. They came with swords and with staves that should be necessary if it was a fight that was to be waged. They had lanterns and they had torches to light their way. Maybe the moonlight would prove insufficient or they would have to search dark corners to find him. They brought cords or chains to bind the prisoner. That's John chapter 18 and verse 12. They were being guided by a traitor, one of the original 12 apostles. And there was a prearranged signal to identify Jesus and to prompt them to act. It appears that there may even have been some of the chief priests with the mob. And we know that the high priests, including Annas, certainly knew what was happening and what would have been preparing themselves for the mockery of the trial to take place as quickly and quietly as possible. Yeah, I, th- I think to the, the same piece that we just got, I mean, this, these events, literally, the, the betrayal and, and arrest, literally, as it talks about in verse 47, is while Jesus was still speaking of, of what he was talking about in the garden. And so to the same idea of when he's talking about yet not my will, but your will be done. It, it's continued in the example of he could have called down 12 legions of angels. Oftentimes we sing the song 10,000 uh, angels, and that's probably just because it sounds prettier than, tw- than 12 legions. But the re- And the reality is Jesus could have done that, but it was ultimately because he wanted the Father's will to be done. And I, I just can't imagine in, in the midst of all of this and the pain that's going to happen. I mean, if to put myself in those shoes, to have the ability to stop the events and to not stop the events is remarkable. To even, I just, I mean, all of it is just, show, it displays his love in such an amazing and awesome way for you and for me. You know, as I mentioned earlier, Peter was said, has, has been told, you're going to deny me and... Uh, he, he responds by saying, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. I think in some aspects, we're reading here about Peter uh, following through with what he promised. He had prepared himself to act, that if anything happened to Jesus, he was going to respond, and even if it meant dying, because he could not have believed that they were actually going to fight their way out of this. I mean, these were Roman soldiers, 
And by taking that swing at a man, I don't believe this fisherman was an expert swordsman so that he was sending a strong message by cutting off an ear. I think this was likely a swing for for his head, and he happened to get his ear. This was Peter putting his life on the line for Jesus. But when he's told to put the sword away, I don't think that's something that Peter was prepared for. He's wi- He's willing to go out swinging, but... I'm not sure Peter's prepared to willingly submit to the will of the Father that Jesus be taken. It's interesting to me that a whole lot of things have been written about Judas, many of them in an attempt to cast Judas in a more favorable light and somehow lessen the the heinousness of what he had done. But when we see the actual betrayal and the manner in which it was carried out, I think it's obvious that all such efforts fail. Verses 48 and 49 of Matthew indicate that Judas laid out the betrayal and took the leadership in planning and in execution. He said, Hail, Master. And the word used to describe the kiss means to kiss effusively or in a demonstrative fashion. He had seen what Jesus could do. He had witnessed his power, and yet Judas knew that Jesus would not use his power to protect himself. I find it interesting as well that Jesus called Judas friend, meaning comrade or companion. If he had been paying attention, that address would have shown Judas the absolute baseness that he was displaying in betraying one who was his comrade. Jesus' remarks to Judas can be interpreted in the following way. Friends, is this what you are coming for? In other words, I know your treachery. Or it could be, friend, is this for which you are come? And is a kiss fitting for what you are doing? In his rebuke to Peter, Jesus set forth the fundamental principle that his cause was not to be advanced by violence and that whoever resorts to bloodshed can expect to suffer the same. He also was making it clear, I think, to Peter and the others that God's will was being carried out in what was taking place. We find a statement in John chapter 18 and verse 11, The cup which the Father hath given me, shall I not drink it? Certainly indicates that Jesus' earlier prayer in the garden was answered. This is acceptance and resolve found in the words of Jesus. You know, in the days of Hezekiah, one angel of the Lord killed 185,000 people. Jesus says, legions of angels. You know, what must have gone through Jesus' mind when he sees swords and clubs? I mean, think of the armies that the Lord has rooted uh, for Israel's sake. Just the thousands of, you know, the iron chariots and things of this nature. And these guys show up with what might as well be be, be feathers. <laughs> you know, just, just not, but this shows that, you know, this same Jesus who earlier prayed, if it's possible, let this cup pass. He wasn't going to employ legions of angels. He was going to submit. I also think with the, in verse 56, when it notes that the, Disciples left him and fled. It reminded me back of John 16 in verse 32, where he was talking about that he was 
Um, they were going to leave him, but he was not going to be alone because the father was was with him. So the again another example of what Jesus saying is going to happen occurring, and even in the midst of this, with Jesus before these people of author of physical authority, um, he, he is not alone at all. The next thing that we'll be looking at in the next lesson is the trial before Annas. And we will see the mockery of justice that goes on related to the trying of our Lord Jesus Christ. We want to thank you for listening and encourage you to invite your friends to do so as well. And also ask you if you'd like to go to our website at www.nkcofc.com. So until next time, thanks for listening.